Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast, where I, Steve Norman, am joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And nobody else. Nope. We will be looking at Spider-Man Homecoming, including a spoiler alert. But Owen, with no uh, guest with us this week, mm-hmm. or guests, um, we're foregoing the quiz. Um, it's yeah. still too all, so um, another week of us getting away with not watching anything awful. And <laughs> it's is also a slow week for movie news. Yeah, we're just skipping news and quizzes completely this week. Yes. Um, I was. I need uh, to get to the shop and buy some milk. Yeah. Do, if you want, <laughs> if you want to look behind the curtain, that is one of the reasons why I need yes. milk for my frosties before before the petrol station closes at eleven. We're yes. Out of here, and I will probably buy some crisps. Nice. What are you going so, for? Um, salt, something salt and vinegar. Salt and vinegar like is good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, or something beefy. Good. I like the Monster Munch beef ones. Did I tell you what? I, if someone was gonna force feed me something until I died, I would opt for Chili Heatwave Doritos. Yeah, not bad. See, with Monster Munch, if I have too many in one go, it starts to make my tongue feel funny. Yeah, and it gets like in the, all your like teeth the, and stuff. Yeah, you like pick them out your teeth. It's horrible. Mm. It looks so uncouth. Um, anyway, like that's in Americans that's... with their corn-based crisps. Why mm. can't they just have potato crisps like yeah. everywhere else? I do like a baked crisp though. Yeah, yeah, but that's crisp chat done. Um, <laughs> we're going to go straight into what we've been watching yeah. uh, this week. Owen, what have you seen this week? Oh man, okay. There's a film I'd love to talk about, but uh, as we had a, a like screener copy for it, and they asked for reviews to run in August for a September release, I will hold fire on actually reviewing it. But I just wanted to say I really, really enjoyed Lionsgate's uh, new found footage horror. Phoenix Forgotten, uh, which is produced by Ridley Scott, of all people. Um, in fact, I'll tell you how much I enjoyed it. I watched it, like, first of all, on my own, late at night, in the dark, and it freaked me out a bit. And that doesn't really happen very often these days. But I watched it and was creeped out. Even though I wouldn't necessarily call it a creepy film, it just still got to me. I then, like, enjoyed that film so much, I rewatched it again the next day with my other half who's not normally into horror films and particularly found footage horrors and stuff. And even she enjoyed it too. I think it's, it is actually technically a really good film. It's got like five out of 10 on IMDb, which again, just goes to show people know fucking nothing because it's really good. It's kind of like a cross between Blair Witch Project and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, actually, you know what, Steve, you might know a bit about this because you know right. about like conspiracy stories and, Things like that, like the Dilatov Pass incident and things like that. You know, yeah, 
stuff about this. Have you ever heard of the Phoenix Lights? Um, it was like um, a strange V-shaped formation of lights, like spanning hundreds of miles, that, like suddenly appeared over Phoenix, Arizona in the mid-90s. And like thousands no. of people witnessed it and reported it. And it was never actually explained yeah. what it was. They said it was like flares or something, but loads of people saw it. It appeared in like sync and then just flew off out of nowhere. And right. the same thing was reported in three different cities, all in the same state, like in different places. Uh, one night. This film bas- is, it basically takes that as if it was genuinely a UFO that appeared in the mid 90s. Yeah. Or like something that was unexplained. They couldn't they couldn't explain what it was. Um, and then tells the story from the perspective of a young girl who was in a home video that caught that at UFO on tape, who's now grown up. So this is set 20 years on. Right. Who's recounting the story of her brother who went missing after filming those those lights. Her brother and his friends back in the mid-90s. It seems like it's quite complex but it's not it really works in as a proper mockumentary style you know james always used to have an issue with fame footage and that it was never believable why people would be filming stuff all the time yeah this this really gets over that hump yeah he did have a massive bee in his bonnet about that yeah didn't he? whereas this has like a it yeah. really has a genuine reason as to I, why people yeah. would be recording stuff i could see it i could see his point sometimes yeah yeah you pretty much always had to make them a documentary filmmaker else you couldn't really explain why they were doing it (laughs) exactly yeah i mean this isn't in terms of in terms of um producing a faint footage story it's it's not exactly original yeah but it is really good but as i say i don't really want to go too much uh into it because i'll keep it all back for when um, I talk about it uh, uh, next month, and I'm going to try and send a copy. I'm trying to get a copy for you as well, Steve, because I think you'll really love it as well. Um, and we can okay. both talk about it together. But um, yes, so that was called Phoenix uh, Forgotten. Add it to your watch list now. Uh, but the film I'm going to talk about uh, in a little bit more detail is something called Witchboard, not Ouija Board, um, Witchboard, which came out in 1986 directed by a guy called Kevin Tenney, an American horror film, supernatural thriller uh, about uh, about three friends, two of whom are in a relationship, and one of whom is the third wheel who fancies the woman, but actually, yeah, is spurned. It's about them playing with a Ouija board, and they call on the spirit of a young boy, 10-year-old kid who's dead, um, and accidentally invite into their home an evil spirit. Uh, of course, that's the plot. You know, uh, all you needed to know was the name, Witchboard, and it's about a fucking evil spirit. It is the most 80s Americanized telling of one of these stories that you'll see. It's nothing like Euro horror. It's so p- polished. Um, but the reason I watched it, and I've never paid to watch this film, by the way. I've never paid to watch it. Uh, but I've seen it, I can't remember how many times. Because when I was about 12, 12 or 13, um, a mate of mine in school, secondary school, we kind of bonded over horror films and, and computer games. And he lived literally just like over the road from our secondary school. We used to go over his uh, for lunch um, 
at school, we'd have an hour for lunch and we'd go over there and we'd just stick videotapes on and watch these horror films, these shitty, schlocky horror movies, pirate copies of horror movies sometimes. You know, we had a pirate copy of The Exorcist. First time we saw The Exorcist was there and we laughed our asses off at it. Um, we also watched stuff like Scream 2 and I Know What You Did Last Summer and all the slashers that were coming out at the time. But Witchboard was one of those that really stuck with me. Um because we just, we, I think, I, ne- I don't think I ever thought of it as a good film, but it was one that had a moment in it which really freaked me out. And it was one of the first, like, horror films that we watched on repeat. Um, and it, basically there's a scene in it where a medium is visited in her home by the evil spirit and she chucks herself out of a window and lands on a railing and it pierces her and she just bleeds out on the, the railing. And I, I can so vividly remember that scene. And I think I can vividly remember it because it occurs in about the hour mark. I think that's probably when we were going back to school. And it was always the last scene we'd watch. Right. I just think, you know, as a film, it's fine. I mean, it's kind of goofy and um, you wouldn't really describe the cast as being particularly great. It's got Tawny Keaton in it who... Um, you won't have seen in anything else, but she's she's pretty crap, but strangely good in that kind of way that you only get away with in mid eighties horror films. What, what what I really wanted to ask you though, Steve, have you got any films you remember of a similar vein? Because I think everyone has these turning points in their like film watching life where they go. This is the kind of thing I like. This genre is for me. With horror films or just films in general? Or... Just in general, you know, if there was a point you can Not remember. Not really. I mean, with horror films, I, mean, I can't even remember watching any when I was, you know, really too young to watch, you know. Yeah. And not because I wasn't allowed to, I just didn't. Wasn't interested. And I've always had this kind of issue with horror films, whereas unless they really shit me up, <laughs> I'm not really that fussed. Yeah. Like, I've said this many times before, but the first Paranormal Activity film I thought was really well done. Like, because you obviously know it's all special effects and uh, effects and stunt work and whatever, but when the girl's getting dragged out of bed and dragged down the hall and it's a found footage film on a really low budget and you're thinking, how the fuck are they... Yeah, it yeah. does shit you. I mean, like when we went to watch it at uni and then going home and watching ghost videos on YouTube until four in the morning yeah. and then not being able to sleep doesn't, doesn't really help the fact. But, you know, I want horror films to have that kind of effect on me and hardly any have. Like, you get... Perhaps this is the way a lot of horror films are made now. You mm. get jump scares and you're just like, okay, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. In terms of films, I kind of love films, obviously Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, those kind of, like, big sure. kind of adventure films yeah um like jurassic parks and toy stories and stuff to see that stuff like that they're kind of epic kind of family adventure films just stuff like that is what made me fall in love with film and that type of film yeah like i could i though i just think they're they're brilliant there's so much fun and escapism when they're done right horror films you mean or just film films in general no those type of films like star wars those kind of films Horror films just don't... I like horror films, but they really do, to have any effect on me, need to shit me up quite a bit. I think horror as a genre is quite broad, isn't it? Yeah, you get every, you get everything from slasher films 
um, to to zombie films to yeah to like just blood and gore to ghosts and demons and hauntings and aliens and everything. It's quite a broad yeah exactly. And I think yeah. it's so it's so broad that people can get out of it different things. And I think it's uh, I th- I don't know whether it's just that you kind of become desensitized to the scares in horror it's, films or if it's just the fact you watch so many films you get to know the like tricks that are employed into building a story yeah and... i don't think it's necessarily being desensitized that's mm. probably why less of the films have an effect on me but uh, you know if i wasn't desensitized i'd still want the horror films to have that effect on me i would just find more of them did yeah but that's what i mean like you become because yeah. you've seen so many of them now um, that it just it doesn't have that effect on you because you've seen it before. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter that the story is completely new. It doesn't matter that the one film that scared you had ghosts in it and the other film that's designed to scare you has yeah. werewolves in it or whatever it is. There's a blueprint for a lot of films. And once you've seen it, yeah. it's hard to then separate it from the skin that's over the top of it in whatever I mean, part of the genre basically, it is. Basically, what, what I like a horror film to do, if I'm watching the horror film at home... Hmm you know, on Netflix or on my laptop, whatever, however I'm watching it, I want it to make me not be able to sleep to the extent that the only way I can get to sleep is by getting out of bed, going sitting in the living room, turning the lights on and watching like four episodes of Family Guy and I do <laughs> like until my mind has got off whatever I've seen in the horror film. Yeah. That's kind of the impact it needs to have on me for me to, to rate it. So what kind, what kind of films do that to you then? I said Paranormal Activity. I think it was the fourth kind as well. Okay. They're the two, two kind of recentish horror films that I can remember doing that. The fourth kind was quite... It was the alien abduction kind of film set in Alaska. Again, the found footage one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've kind of... Yeah, that one had that kind of effect on me as well. And I can't really remember one that more recent than those two. Yeah. Okay, but, but yeah. So you don't, you wouldn't necessarily choose to watch a horror film for good practical effects or gore or some that do in, like tell interesting stories that you just couldn't get in other genres. No, or... I, I I would do, I would do, and I would, I would get something out of them. Mm-hmm. But you know, like if a horror film's aim is to scare someone, then it takes. Not this isn't me trying to be all act hard and have a load of bravado. <laughs> but, you know, to have actually like a scary. To make me feel scared or yeah. uneasy or on edge or uh, what unsafe, whatever it, it's got to be pretty damn good to do that. It's not just got to be any old generic, sure, Hollywood remake of a Japanese horror. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's yeah. I mean, that's kind of we could have had a new section just thinking about it because Fright Fest is, um, you know, people have now got tickets for Fright Fest and more and more films are being announced for it. But right. I haven't looked too much into it. I should have done beforehand. If I'd have thought about this properly, we could have tied it all in together. But And we would have spoken about Chris for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. But alas, we did. Oh, well. So what have you been watching then, Steve? I, uh, this week, watched... I watched a couple of um, zombie films. One was... Uh, so basically, if you go onto Netflix, and on newly ad- new, new releases or recently added, there's a British low-budget zombie for Don't Bother. Plan Z. Is that it? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, make it your plan Z to watch <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, but the other one I watched, which is also a zombie film, was The Girl with All the Gifts. Oh, okay. Um, 
which was I think it's a couple of years old now, and it's um, with Gemma Arterton. It's about uh, and Paddy Constantine. It's about uh, a zombie virus spread by fungi. Um, it's about twenty years after the initial uh, outbreak or infection, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and it's kind of based on pretty much the whole, as far as you know, certainly the UK, but presumably the whole of the world has been infested. There's still pockets of humans about. And there's a type of zombie, which they're called hungries in this film, um, that are children who have the zombie virus, react to, you know, want to eat humans, but they're still kind of sentient. And apparently it came about because their they were their mothers were infected while they were still in the womb, and that's why. Um, and they, you know, they their their base gets overrun. They have to escape, and there's different people escaping with this one girl who, um, this one young girl, and they're kind of escaping with her for different reasons. Um, one of them, Gemma Arthur's character, wants to escape because it's in her eyes a child, and she wants to protect the child, and the other what. Some want to escape her because it's a soldier and they're just trying to escape. And the other one's a doctor who's trying to make a cure for this disease and thinks they can do. Um, I think it's. Have you seen this? I think it's yeah, quite did, good, yeah. um, except for except for the ending. I didn't, didn't quite get on to spoil the film for anyone. It's only just gone on to Sky Go. Mm. Um, I think it is. And yeah, I thought the the young girl um, playing Melanie, who was the the you know, like I said the the hung the child hungry zombie with the yeah um yeah i thought she was quite good it was quite interesting because she's grown up without basically seeing the outside world in isolation everyone's scared of her except for this one person the teacher and and, you know um paddy constant is his usual self pretty good i think it moves along quite it's it's, you know well put together it looks good Mm. um the zombies are slightly different to conventional zombies, which is which is always a good thing. It works quite well. Um, yeah, but yeah, the the ending just didn't really do it for me. I just thought the ending was a bit. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I thought that... I could I could I could see the sense of it in terms of the plot and what they were getting at, but I don't think they pulled it off. Her. I don't think they made their point strongly enough hmm. about why the characters. Or the one character did what they did at the end of the film to to, to bring the film to its conclusion. This is me trying to talk around spoilers. <laughs> but I know but, what you mean. You know, I, can't, comp- I know I know why they did. It. I just don't think they've hammered the point home hard enough to make it work properly. Yeah, it all just kind of ended quite slowly, uh, not slowly, but like just ended without really any kind of explanation of why it ended like that. Yeah, I mean every every zombie film ever made doesn't have zombies in it unless the zombies are representative of something else. And in, in mm. this, it's about shutting yourself off. It's about the youth shutting themselves off from the outside world or being very insular, yeah. right? And, you know, ignoring all the... You know, for, for want of a better allegory, but, you know, ignoring stuff like the rise of Trump and alt-right people and all that kind of horrible stuff in the world and just living very much within your own little bubble. Um, and then what happens when you're exposed to that is it's horrific, like apocalyptically yeah. horrific. Um, and so that's what it, that's what the, the film is about as such. But I just thought that it wasn't actually a great experience 
to watch it. Oh, seems very bad. But, you know, in the cinema, I, I came out, I went into the cinema expecting from the trailers for it to be kind of Daniel Boyle's 28 Days Later-esque. Yeah, I thought it was going to be more like that, and it wasn't quite as... It was a bit young adultish, really. Yeah, it did have that kind of vibe about it. But I thought it, I thought it was okay. It was a good one until the end, and the end kind of knocked it a bit for me. Yeah, I thought it would go in. A, I thought it might go in a bit of a different direction to that. Not having read the book, of course, because it is based on a yeah on a book. Yeah, um, yeah. And the, yeah, I would pull it on a par with if we're talking about sort of post-apocalyptic stuff. How I live now. Did, I think you watched that, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah, that was like the one made with like E4, Channel 4, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Saoirse Ronan and, yeah. and I think Tom Holland um, was in it, who we're going to talk about later, obviously. Yeah, I, yeah, I know the one I mean. Yeah, and I can... Yeah, kind of that one, it was going along. Okay, and then the ending was kind of just a bit... Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it ended like... It's, it's like half an ending. It's like kind of if you're watching a two-part TV show, it'd be the ending of the first part. Yeah, yeah. It's a cliffhanger almost, without actually not not even not even quite being a cliffhanger because everything's kind of resolved. But you're just kind of expecting more. Mm. Like if someone said to you, "Right, we're going to bring out a sequel," you might not even want to go and watch it. We okay, right? They're going to tie up some more of what happened. They're going to explain things more. But yeah, so yeah, it was it was okay. I mean, I won't watch it again in a hurry. You know, if people were looking for something to watch, not the worst thing they could choose. Our new release this week is Spider-Man Homecoming. It's the third version of Spider-Man <laughs> in, is it 12 or 15 years? Um, so you've had the Tobey Maguire trilogy. Yeah, um, directed by Sam Raimi. Yeah, and then the Andrew Garfield two film. Amazing Spider-Man, yep. Yeah, um, and then these ones, uh, all this Tom Holland one, Tom Holland the star, got Michael Keaton as the, as the villain. Um, this one is the first Spider-Man we've had tied into the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, obviously, we've seen uh, Spider-Man in Captain America's Civil War, mm. um, and this this follows on from that. The Andrew Garfield ones were around at the same time as the Marvel Cinematic Universe, weren't they? The Tobey Maguire ones... They preceded it. Even, yeah, even if they wanted to, they couldn't have tied that Spider-Man into it, but they can with... Um, they could have done with Andrew Garfield. They've, they've, Sony and um, Marvel have set up this deal, haven't they, where they can... It's all very complicated. As yeah, yeah, yeah. hero rights things mm-hmm. are. I mean, when you start looking at Quicksilver and... Scarlet Witch, that's just even, that's confusing as hell. Yeah. Because they can be in two different, but anyway. Um, yeah, so there's some, there's some kind of loan deal, isn't there, with Spider-Man. Yeah, Sony, Sony are basically backing this in name yeah. and checkbook and Marvel. Because it, because it helps them as well. Yeah, yeah, precisely. The amount, the amount of money it's made on its opening weekend alone. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, more than justifies the, um, um, the deal, the collaboration so, between the two studios. So so in this, you've got Tom Holland playing the young Spider-Man who's being mentored by Tony Stark, um, obviously Iron Man, um, who's also being looked after by Happy Hogan. It's kind of his, not mentor, but like... Yeah, John Favreau, basically, he's back. Yeah. 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 Um, And it's taking, you know, so he's... It's kind of like on an inter, uh, apprent- not an intern. He calls it very American. Yeah, he calls it's it. Apprent- it's called an intern. It's an apprentice for UK listeners. It's basically doing an apprenticeship with the Avengers. Yes, 
But he calls it the Stark yeah. inter- internship so that his friends yeah. and his aunt May, who's Mar- played by Marissa Tomei, uh, yeah. they think he's off learning whatever it is that he's meant to be doing on the yeah. internship. Business skills, technology, yeah. engineering, whatever he's supposed to be. But you're right, actually, he's just running around New York thwarting petty criminals. Yeah. And he, well, he, yeah, he's meant to be at the moment because this is, you know, he's not been Spider-Man for long. He's meant to be just tackling petty criminal street thugs, muggers, mm. um, doing that kind of thing. But he ends up getting caught up in a in a bigger plot, which is where Michael Keaton's character comes. We are going to do a spoiler alert for this in a bit, like a, a little one. But Michael Keaton um, plays a guy called Toombs who... His, his job at the start of the film, because the start of the film, is, the very start is based on him, and it's after the Avengers battle in New York, and his job is to clean up um, that mess um, until he gets essentially fired from it, from not Tony Stark di- directly, but his... Well, Tony, Tony Stark kind of... brings in um, the damage control, uh, Department of Damage yeah. Control, uh, midway through uh, this very costly clean-up, post-Avengers, yeah. Chitari. Um, war cleanup gig that that Tombs has has managed to get for his construction company. So they lose the contract yeah. midway through. He's broke. All of his workers are out of um, out of jobs. They keep yeah, hold of some of the te- family. And- yeah, they keep hold of te- yeah. some of the technology. Thus, we get Vulture, and it very cleverly yeah. does that at the very beginning of the movie. So you know straight away. Um, there's no massive origin arc. There's no. You know, convoluted setup. It's like right at the beginning, we have. There's no slit, slow drip, drip of someone turning into a villain slowly. And, exactly. You've got. You know, it's straight straight away. It's this has happened to me. I'm not happy about it. What can I do? I've done this. Now I'm vulture. Yeah. Exactly. Step, step, step. Done. Yeah, but it's probably one of the more well-rounded Marvel villains. I I actually think he's probably the best. Um, big screen villain, and I say that as he's not. I mean, I put it in my review on the on the Foul Critics website that actually I think he's possibly even an anti-hero. You know, in a world where Punisher can be well, he, yeah, because he's not a hero. His his motives are quite sound. Well, if you look at it from the perspective of he is a blue collar guy, he's had um, a faceless government department owned and run, actually, by a multi-billionaire, just take his livelihood away from him yeah. on a whim. Um, the the fact that he then uses that Chitauri uh, alien weaponry for bad purposes, as in arms dealing and robbing people, is by the by, because, <laughs> you know, it, they make him very... His cause is very sympathetic, you know, yeah. What else is he supposed to do? He's into this company now for God knows how much money, bought all this equipment, and he's been fucked over by the man. He's basically an American anti-hero. Yeah. Um, it's why he works so well opposite Spider-Man because Spider-Man in this yeah. just wants to be a good guy. He wants mm. to kick the butt of bad guys with his Avengers pals. And I suppose with Tombs Vulture, he's not going out and attacking anyone. I know he's selling the these these weapons to, to to criminals which is which is morally reprehensible as well as illegal but he himself isn't going out and attacking good people he's not trying to hurt good people yeah, he's, he's, he's a bit robin hood make these 
yeah, he's just trying to make these weapons to sell them to people to make money for himself and his his whatever they were, they're not good colleagues or former start, whatever they were, to try and help himself support his family and give them the best that they can have and do the same for his his buddies, I suppose. Yeah. I mean it's the same like there's a point in the film, isn't there, where Spider Man um gets some help from can we say okay, I'm gonna say the names anyway. I don't think it's necessarily um, a spoiler, but he gets uh, it gets some information from Donald Glover, who is the uncle of yeah. Miles Morales, who is a different Spider-Man in another universe. Yeah. We don't see anything to do with that in the film. We only know that yeah. he, it's, it's like an Easter egg, basically. Um, but then at the end of it, he still kind of webs him to his car and runs off and says, well, you're still a criminal. Thanks for your help. Bye. And it's yeah. like that is that in a nutshell is how Toombs is in this film. You know, Adrian Toombs is a criminal and he's doing bad things, but you kind of understand why. It's like a kind of um, uh, the same justification you'd have for uh, age, uh, whatever the, Miles Teller and Jonah Hill in War Dogs um, that yeah. you reviewed last week. Or, or, or perhaps to compare to another villain superhero, I don't know too much about comic, but you know, Mr. Freeze in Batman, who's doing basically what he does to try and save his wife who's ill. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of... I mean, I'm going to spoil Mr. Freeze for you now, if you don't already know. Yeah. Nora is not really his wife. He's uh, just mad. <laughs> that's uh, a story well. that comes into Batman. Like, she's not... She's just... But, yeah, so he, he's... It's, but is she still well, and is he still trying to help her? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, because he's... Yeah, he's obsessed. I mean, I, I know what your, your point is, though. But, um... Yeah. He's certainly one of the more interesting Marvel villains and well-rounded ones. I mean, yeah. Loki's obviously fantastic, and then beyond that, you kind of think, you know, Thanos is gonna. There's gonna be more of him. He's an overarching one. We still not seen much of him. And beyond that, the villains. Uh, what else has there been that's really made that stands out as like, oh yeah, that's a really good character. Most of them only last one film. Yeah, I mean, I like Ronan, um, Ronan the Accuser lasted one film, mm. although I thought he was okay, but he lasted one film. I was just about to say the um, same. I thought actually the second time I watched Guardians, I liked him more. Doctor Strange's villain lasted one film, and he's he was gone. Genuinely, can't even um, remember. Oh, it was Mad Mc, Mads Mikkelsen, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I can't. Even, I'm just struggling to think of any more now. I mean, Loki is the only one who's really uh, had a, in the and, films. And he anyway. has, he has been very good, though. To be fair, Loki's but, been great value. Yeah. But I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio. Ultra, Ultron's yeah, Ultron's not lasted long, has he? No, he in fact, was did, there's and... like a little bit of him in this, isn't there? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> no, but I think um, Vincent D'Onofrio was Kingpin in the Daredevil TV series. Yeah, great, great villain. But then that's in a, that's in a TV series, so you know he's going to be given. 12, 16 episodes to, to work an art. Yep, yep. Although that doesn't explain Immortal Iron Fist or no. Luke Cage, <laughs> why their villains um, weren't so great. But, like, this is... Okay, so I will just say straight away about uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, this is the best Spider-Man film. We've, so both, we've both said this on Twitter mm. um, to, to a varied response, but... Um, well, I got called mental that, for saying it because I said well, yeah. Spider-Man Two isn't great. Well, we, we both said that this was our favourite Spider-Man film out of the five, a six, and Tom Holland is our favourite Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even saying it's my favourite. I'm saying this is the best. This is objectively the best. It's tonally yeah. exactly how this should I, be. So, 
I don't know much about comic book character reading comic, but from what I know, this one does Spider Man or Peter Parker probably the best. Yeah, yeah, it gets that. He's it gets he, him. He's not. He he is actually like in the in the rest of the films, he's been like a sixteen to probably nineteen year old mm. just graduating from high school and going into um, some kind of internship or job or something and with a proper love interest or a girlfriend that he has to try and save all the time um and we've got every time the uncle ben thing you know we have to see him die in both versions of the the, the garfield and the Maguire ones and then he has to be brought back in every other film in some kind of flashback sequence or something this one you don't even get it, uncle ben mentioned yeah, uh, you get. It's just, it's just like you know what happened. It's pretty much like you've gone. You've had Spider Man twice in the last fifteen years. You know what happens. How he becomes Spider Man. You don't need to see Uncle Ben die. You don't need to see him getting bitten by a spider. Mm-hmm. Here he is, and then Peter Parker's a prop. He's, you know, because in the comics, doesn't Spider Man start when he's about fourteen, fifteen? He's meant to well, be a 14, 15 year old or not the you know. originals, but in the ultimate comics he is, yeah. He, I mean it's it's probably the most interesting take on Peter Parker that they've had. But even like because if you if you associate them, they are the same character technically, but Spider Man and yeah. Peter Parker, both of those are done better than either of the previous attempts. You know, they've yeah. really got Peter Parker as that um, I mean, he's nerdy in this. You know, he talks about building a Star Lego Wars, Death Lego Star. Death Star. But, you know, it's different to how Andrew Garfield played him because Andrew Garfield was kind of geek chic, wasn't he? He was cool. He was a geek, but yeah. he was a skateboarding, you know. And Toby Maguire was an emo. <laughs> he went emo in the third one, but he was just a kind of quiet, yeah. shy in betweener, almost, you know, hmm. if you think Flash it. Thompson was quite interesting in this as well. Just not interesting, uh, but different, because usually well, he's just an out and out jock bully who's going to physically beat up Peter Parker. And in, in this, he was like pretty similar. You know, he was in the debate team, or whatever it was, or the Mathletics or whatever. Mm. Um, and, you know, he wasn't like a jock, he wasn't like a, a football player or someone who's going to try and physically intimidate Peter Parker. That was, even though it wasn't really a main thing, it was just different. My biggest issue with Spider-Man Homecoming is the um, support cast. I don't think anyone in it is bad. I think Mm. they pretty much do everything they're supposed to do from well to very well, if you think of Keaton, if you think of Holland, if you think, obviously, Downey Jr. and John Favreau, who've done this a million times before. I thought I thought his, his, his best mate, Ned, I thought he was Oh, yeah, and he good. was good, yeah. Yeah, he, he was very, he was quite funny as a bit of comic relief. Um, and I thought that worked quite well, and he, he did well there. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Jacob Batalon, I think, is the actor's name. He was very yeah. good. But my, my point was going to be that nobody in this film exists for any other purpose than to make Peter Parker. Yeah. They're all, they are all just devices or functions or things to interfere in the plot to make Peter Parker. You know? Yeah. I mean, his whole character is completely 100% reliant on everybody else. And I don't, I don't mean it to like disparage the, um, the film as a whole. I just mean in terms of its characterization. It was very weak. 
um, away from the main the main two. Um, you know, his interactions with... He's very self-obsessed in this, Peter Parker. Uh, completely, like, 100% doesn't really give a shit about the consequences of any of his actions. Like, you see quite early on in the, in the story, um, the shop, the, like, corner shop where he goes and gets his lunch and stuff from, is destroyed, basically, by his inability to take responsibility for his actions. You know? Yeah. He doesn't understand the consequences of what he does. And that's the thing, that's kind of a motif that's repeated throughout the film. Is that it's it's all about with great power comes great responsibility. They don't use that line, and they don't have an Uncle Ben there to tell him. And Tony Stark is basically a really shit surrogate father. But and, and Happy Hogan doesn't really care. Exactly, Happy's really too too busy. He's, with he's more things. interested in his in his new job at Stark Industries. Exactly. So he doesn't have that guiding hand, and. It, Actually, in the end, it kind of comes from... uh, Basically, the relationship between him and Toombs is what cements um, Parker's understanding of uh, his role as Spider-Man in the world. But, you know, I'm not giving anything away with that. I think it's going to be pretty obvious. But I just think everyone else in this film literally only has interactions with Spider-Man to make him understand who he is. Yeah. Um, um, There's a point in the film... um, where he meets, uh, he's kind of having dates, isn't he? Um, with uh, Liz, who's actress, I can't remember the name of suddenly, but yeah, yeah. So he's having these like dates with her, and they they kind of hit it off a little bit, and something goes wrong, uh, and their interaction together about what's gone wrong is she explains what's happened. Kind of Peter Parker kind of acknowledges that she's not happy. And then the conversation immediately goes to him. Mm. And I don't think it's intentionally trying to show Peter Parker as being self-obsessed. I just think it has no idea how to do anything with the other characters. Um, So effectively, Liz is reduced completely to that one conversation where it's about Peter Parker. And I think that is a real shame. That I mean, I'm not looking forward to seeing an expanded set of support characters. I'm not looking forward to seeing a... Um, you know, uh, um, an MJ, a Mary Jane, yeah, boosted uh, into this. I'm not really looking forward to seeing how Miles Morales will fit into a film that also has Peter Parker in it. Because I just think if it's the but same maybe, crew, but maybe, but maybe they won't try and do a, a Mary Jane or a um, Gwen, Gwen Stacy. Yeah, yeah. Maybe <laughs> they might just leave that completely. I don't think they will. No, I don't think so they either. Might. But I, do, I, I think that it was just a bit of a shame that everybody else in this was so throwaway um, when they yeah. had two very strong central characters. Um, mm. And again, I guess it could just be down to the fact that of all the sort of Marvel films that we've seen, um, this is pretty much directed at a tween to teen audience, I think. Mm. There's... Um, you know, just everything from how colourful it is just screams this is aimed at a, a younger audience to um, the way the plot kind of resolves itself to the moralistic lessons that he learns. And I think it's it is, even just like the age range of the central characters. I think it is yeah. squarely aimed at 
sort of 12 to 16 year old audience primarily mm. everyone else can enjoy it because it's still a well-made film it's got nice action scenes in it it's shot very well it's just a, a little bit light it's still a lot of fun as well though isn't it well it is it's, fun yeah it, it is fun. fun i still don't know what homecoming is no i don't know what a homecoming is either no obviously i, I, don't, I don't know yeah it's some kind of school do where you yeah. get to invite a girl it's apparently. like a sixth form disco yeah but these are like 15 but, year olds aren't they so it's like yeah, a what, prom but not a prom what is this what is a homecoming like is it is it like at the start of a new school year they're all coming home to school i don't know no i don't maybe maybe someone can let us know yeah um, but of course the because i can't I, because i want to know but i can't be bothered to look it up myself yeah <laughs> but the title the title obviously refers to the fact it's um spider-man yeah. is coming home to the marvel yeah. cinematic Cinema. universe it's, yeah, yeah. Um, but nose. you know, I think, and obviously we'll see him in in future Avengers films. I think we both enjoyed it. Certainly worth seeing if people haven't already. Do you, do but, you know what um, surprised me in this? Well, I wasn't expecting because um, I I had seen the trailer, but I'd been trying to avoid anything else about it since. Yeah, uh, Jennifer Connelly. I knew Jennifer Connelly was in this, and it took me a little while to twig she was Karen. The voice of Spider-Man's yeah, the, suit. Yeah, the, the voice of the suit, yeah. I didn't realise initially, because I, I kept waiting and waiting for Jennifer Connelly. And then it was only like, oh, hang on a minute. She must be the That's voice. Jennifer Connelly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she did quite, Which, quite a good job. Yeah, that was quite funny as well, the whole interactions between the two of them. That was quite quite funny. Yeah, yeah. And it was I was not expecting him to have quite such an advanced suit either. No. Even though, if you've ever read the um, Civil War comics, basically Tony Stark gives Peter Parker, uh, and uh, I can't remember what they call it, the Iron Spider or something like that. It's basically a, right. a suit that's that Tony Stark has developed, uh, yeah. and it's to kind of buy Peter Parker's support in the Civil War. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I think it was quite a, quite a neat way of uh, making this. Spider-Man feel even more unique compared to yeah. I always thought Spider-Man's web wrist thingies were, were like part of the spider bite deal. No, that was just I, I, always, thought get, I always thought getting bitten by the spider meant he could do the, nope. the web bits. <laughs> that was a good no? sound effect. Um, yeah. No, no, that was just Sam Raimi's film, I think. I don't know if it was in one of the comics or not, but it was um, definitely part of his whole... Uh, the fact that he was a scientific genius, that he created web fluid. He could just climb right. walls, had spider sense, super strength, that kind of thing. But um Can't get out of the bath. <laughs> can't get out of the bath. Yeah. yeah. All a supervillain needs is a really big rolled up newspaper to defeat Spider Man. Ah, oh, in all this time like, and they've come up with such yeah. elaborate things. Just the biggest rolled up newspaper going just to Smacking with quick, fetch me the giant glass and newspaper. We will yeah. roll, pull him on, we'll chuck him outside. Yeah, yeah, sorted. sorted. Um, can I just say one other thing then that I, I, wanted, I wanted to throw into this bit because I know we want to do a spoiler alert just to discuss some of the finer points in a little bit more detail. One of the other ways they updated this film much better than was um, brought into Amazing Spider Man uh, was the use of vlogs. So, like, your first in interactions with Peter Parker in this film, the first time you kind of really get to see him, are through his uh, 
self-recorded videos. Yeah. And at first I thought it was going to be a bit too gimmicky. But actually, they do it really well. You know, the fact that it's him shooting videos of himself from the, the Civil War, you know, when we saw him yeah. in a fight with Captain America and stealing his shield and then all the, like, funny, humorous bits around that. Um, I thought that was really good. And I thought then later on when it's reintroduced where he's with Happy and you see him and he's, you know... In yeah, just kind of, like, after the, after the battle... Yeah. He's he's just like had to go back to a hotel room and be babysat by Happy Hogan. Yeah, that's that's. You don't kind of think about <laughs> that when they're having a big smash up. Exactly, I think those little bits are very good, and the reason I think they work even more um, in this film than they would have in probably any other Marvel film is because it avoid it. It's a really tactful way of introducing the fact that Spider Man or Peter Parker uses cameras. Like, because the whole thing about him getting a job with the Daily Bugle is he's a photographer and he can get he can get yeah. footage of Spider Man and therefore he gets an in. Um, yeah. Whereas this is like, okay, he's a vlogger. That that makes sense. That's updated it in a really yeah. kind of um, neat sort of way. It doesn't feel shoehorned in or anything. There's quite a few standard Spider Man tropes that are missing. For instance, there's no Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. There's no Daily Bugle. There's no uh, great power, great responsibility. Mm-hmm. So it's quite, you know, it's just a bit refreshing to, to rather just rehab. They're going to do Spider-Man again, but they've actually tried to do it differently. Exactly. It's, I said it in the review again, it was a reimagining rather than a reboot. They've just hmm. like gone, well, rather than just do the same thing again, um, but more modern, we've actually thought about doing this in a completely different yeah. way. He's younger. Yeah. He's desperate to be part of a group. You know, he's not mm. tackling supervillains as such, although you've got Shocker in this and you've got Vulture and kind of alludes to Scorpion as well, um, which probably sets up a sinister They're six. They're not big, right? big, huge supervillains. Like, the world's not a threat. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's good. I, I just thought, I just think everything about this is how this film should be. Mm. Um, it's like, you, like you've said, you know, it's fun. Um, it's got the tone... Uh, exactly right it's a little bit weak in terms of characterization and i think peter parker is sort of one-dimensional uh, he doesn't really change much throughout the film he's still the same peter parker at the end as he is at the beginning just perhaps a little bit more mature yeah but vulture is the one who has the, the biggest arc you know where he is right at the end in the you see him in a post-credits scene yeah where he is in that compared to where he is at the start, you see a real change in character, and I mm. think that that is the, probably the, the strongest story arc we've seen for a villain since Loki. Loki, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's all for this week's fail critic. Almost, main... we try. <laughs> we I think what we should probably mention as well is the action scenes, the yes. big blockbuster action scenes that it has to have because it's a big blockbuster. Yeah, the ferry being torn in half. What, yeah, that, did you like that, that scene? I thought that was good. Yeah, and him, and then him needing assistance with it. Um, you know, the interaction with the suits when mm-hmm. he's doing it, and uh, just visually looking at the quite a big, a big scene. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was the good. kind of way to go Spider Man bit on the boat. Yeah. I thought was quite funny. Yeah, um, we did. We did, have, off- we did have one scene in this of Spider Man in front of an unfurling American flag. 
Um, I think that was so tongue-in-cheek, though. I think that was very tongue-in-cheek as well. Yeah. And again, there was like um, an upside-down kiss, wasn't there? And well, was, there were almost was, yeah. There was like, yeah, the there was, that was another end. nod and wink towards that, which... Yeah. Yeah. And the, the film itself is just so packed to the rafters with Easter eggs. Like, I was reading yeah. about stuff afterwards, um, and it's stuff that you wouldn't necessarily have spotted first time. Like the whole fact that, um, you know, you've got Miles Morales' uncle. Yes. Yeah. It's not actually specifically stated as that. It's just there is a character with a name that if you know about Miles Morales, you know who he is. And, well, unless uh, you're, yeah, unless you're bringing Donald Glover into it somehow in a bigger way, and maybe you know you can get away saying, well, they both look yeah. very similar, and that's how you get Donald Glover and his Miles Morales. It just seems a waste of Donald Glover. Yeah. yeah. It, almost seems it... Like what, it almost seems like Donald Glover is huge at the moment, whether it's from his music or his acting or whatever. He's massive. So what the hell is he doing just doing like a little bit part in this? Yeah. Unless it's going to lead on to something more. Yeah, it could be. So the future of the... We'll we'll talk obviously probably in more depth in a minute, but the future of, of these films, because we know we've got a Venom film coming out. Yeah. You know, that is, that's coming out soon. Um, so I think the, what this plans to do is set up a Sinister Six movie. Right. Do you know the Sinister Six? Yeah, the Spider-Man yeah. bad guys, yeah. Yeah, they all team up and, you know. Yeah. Because uh, we, what we haven't had is a Green Goblin. No. What we haven't had um, is really a, a Gwen Stacy as such. Um, I don't think it's there's even a character that's anything to do with Gwen Stacy in this. Um, no. There's possibly an MJ from what I've read into it. There, well, there definitely is, but... Um, yeah, so you, 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 but we know what happens at the end, and I think the way that yeah. it's it's carrying itself forward now is doesn't necessarily anymore have to be anything to do with the MCU, because no, because I mean I, I I'll still obviously involve Tony Stark in some form, um, but in terms of like purely from a, a logistical sense, Marvel have done for Sony what they wanted them to do. Set yeah. up a credible universe, make the character popular again, um, and then if they want, they don't ever have to have anything to do with Marvel. No, they will because Marvel still own the you know have their deal. Yeah, but yeah, and Spider Man will obviously turn up in in Avengers in Infinity War. Well, we know he's in Infinity War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from what I was reading earlier, um, the plan is for after Infinity War for Spider Man to basically become the central character. For the MCU, so then, so essentially, all the older characters will, yeah, either, yeah, re- yeah. they'll either retire some of them, some might die. You know, the, there's strong suggestions mm. that the that people like Captain America and you I know even wonder, Tony Stark yeah. might actually. I did wonder if um, this film counted as one for uh, Chris Evans' contract because don't they all seem to sign up for multiple movie? Deals? You yeah. signed a nine movie deal with Marvel. And that was so um, funny, his bits in this. Yeah. His instructional videos were just great. They were one of the highlights. Yeah, um, the, the the end credits one was really funny. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yes. Should we, should we do spoiler alert? Or 
Yeah, should we do recommendations and then spoiler alert? Yeah, so we're going to do a spoiler alert for this, so we'll tell you when it's coming up so Matt Lample doesn't listen on (laughs) um, every time we do a spoiler alert. Every time. Yeah, Uh, so what do you want to tell people to watch this week? Okay, I'll do it anyway. Glow, the new, they're all on Netflix. Everything I'm recommending is on Netflix, right? Right. Glow, gorgeous ladies of wrestling with Mark Maron and Alison Brie. It's kind of an 80s wrestling comedy i recommended it at the end of the live recorded episode that was released last week yeah when you and i had a week off that was before i'd seen it i have since seen the entire series on netflix you can blaze through it in an afternoon there's i think there's only about eight or ten episodes and they're about half an hour long each it's really fun a bit ropey at first dodgy pilot episode everything else after that is pretty Pretty entertaining. I'd give that a watch. I also want to recommend Okja, which is Bong Joon-ho's sci-fi fantasy thing about a girl in Korea who makes friends with a giant genetically modified pig. And it also stars Tilda Swinton, Jake Gyllenhaal, Paul Dano, who is just one of the best actors around at the minute. It's a really good film. If you like anything by Bong Joon-ho, Memories of Murder, Snowpiercer, uh, The Host... Mother, yeah, then you're probably, probably going to like Okja. Really good. Also, Castlevania has been added, a four-part miniseries, which Matt Lamborn, the aforementioned Matt Lamborn, who we always warn about spoiler alert um, because of that one time when he didn't pay attention and then spoiled Iron Man 3 for himself. Take heed, people. Um, yeah, Castlevania miniseries is really good, an animated thing, but I know nothing about the Castlevania, Castlevania games. Matt recently talked about Castlevania with uh, Andrew Brooker and John Miller on Character Unlock when they were talking about the SNES Mini um, that's coming out. Um, so Matt is, has kindly agreed, he even offered himself to write up a review uh, of the Castlevania series. So that should hopefully be going on the website some point soon. And finally, for the good things that I'm recommending, The Green Inferno, which was one of my favourite films of last year. Eli Roth's um anti-sjw cannibal horror film very tongue-in-cheek but also really gruesome and i loved it as the social commentary that it is i mean it's so like unsubtle uh, um but i just thought it was great highly recommend that now the other thing i want to pick and this is only because it was a weird coincidence but i've started a new series of articles on the website called from the vault Because basically I'm going through our drafts folder, finding all the things that are unpublished, tidying them up a bit, I'm going to publish them all. Um, So whenever they were written, everything that's on my Google Drive that is unwritten, all the notes I made never turning to full articles, they're all going to get published at some point. But I published uh, a review of Blair Witch, you know, the 2016 film, on the 8th of July. Mm. Just randomly saw it and I thought, I'm going to start it off with that. Touched up the review published it 8th of july the 9th of july it got added to netflix how weird is that that's a strange coincidence i'm not saying it's supernatural but you know it's a bit weird so yeah so blair witch not one that i would recommend but i would recommend if you do watch it on there because i know how tempting it is we all want a good blair witch project sequel if you do watch that then i've got a review that's on the website so there you go all of those are on Netflix. Blair Witch, Castlevania, Green Inferno, Okja and Glow. Okay, I'm going to recommend an uh, Australian film that's just gone to Netflix called These Final Hours. Oh, yeah. Um, 
which is kind of a end. The world is about to end, and a, a guy's kind of trying to live out his his final hours um, before coming across a, a young girl. Um, I thought it was really good when I first saw it, mm. um, and yeah, definitely worth a watch for anyone. Um, that is finally it for this week's main portion of the podcast. So thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with Andrew Brooker and some apes. War of um, the Planet of the Apes. Yes, War of the Planet of the Apes that we're all looking forward to because these this series of films have been doing summer blockbusters right. They have been, yeah. Which, yeah. Which and is, you've got um, a plan to watch all of the Planet of the Apes films, is that right? I'm going to try my best to, um, yeah. although not time won't be an issue because I could conceivably watch a couple of nights before we do it and it'll be fine. But uh, the issue will be trying to find escape somewhere because it doesn't seem to be yeah i don't know what it is about the distribution for escape from Mm. planet of the eight escape from the planet of the apes because it's it's so like it's it's the third one there's no difference in terms of like the series but i just it's never on tv they never show it as part of any of their run-throughs on film four or anything so good luck I have it on Blu-ray if you get desperate. Um, but yes, yeah, so now join us. Now, join us now for spoiler alert. If you want to hear us discuss Spider-Man in a little bit more detail, the Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with contributions from different guests every week. With original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com from the track "The Bandit," remixed by James Yule, who you can find at jamesyule.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Failed Critics, on iTunes and all good podcast apps, or you can check us out at failedcritics.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. And why not check out our sister podcasts, Character Unlock and Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights from the failed media network of podcasts. Thanks for listening. So, Spider-Man Homecoming, spoiler alert. Where do we want to start with this? Uh, should we start with the biggest plot spoiler, biggest plot twist, I suppose? Yeah, so Liz, was... Liz and, uh, is the daughter of Vulture. Yes. Did you see it coming? I didn't. You know what? I was going to say the same thing. I'm normally really like... I... And it seems quite a predictable one in the end, doesn't it? When you it's so predictable. <laughs> once, it, once it happens, that is very predictable, but I genuinely didn't see it coming. No, it's predictable in the sense that it should be obvious. And as soon as it's revealed, you're like, oh, for fuck's maybe, sake, of Maybe course. you just think yeah. they can't do that. That's just blatant. And then, yeah. It didn't, it didn't occur to me at all. No. I think they, hit, they disguised it very well. I think possibly it's a bit of inverse racism, right? Because he's white and she's black. So you're just like, don't make the connection in your mind, do you? Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> but yeah, it was, and it worked. I think it added to the, I mean, seeing Toombs' family obviously added to his story and his character. Um, yeah, because you, you know all along he's doing what he's doing for his family. But actually seeing his family and seeing how he is with them mm. adds to it. Because he's obviously, from what you can see, it seems like he's a nice guy. He's a family man. Yeah. He's, he, he loves his wife. He loves his daughter. He's given them a nice thing. He's got a nice house. He's Because he doesn't know at that point that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, he's having a bit of a laugh with his daughter's date and trying to do the like kind of intimidating dad thing without coming across too strong and, and yeah you know he's just he's just like your regular 
in like American people say you're regular Joe. He, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. He comes across in this as just the blue collar worker. You know, he's got he's got his um, business, which he obviously portrays as being. I mean, he's not exactly Tony Soprano, is he? No. For example. Um, no. And I love the fact that when he killed the, the original Shocker, it was by accident because he thought he picked up the yeah. anti-gravity gun. I thought that was just a great little thing. But because of his flippance, it shows actually he is a bad guy. <laughs> he is a very yes. bad guy. He's happy to just kill someone. But I suppose if you're in charge of a group of henchmen like that, You've got to kind of style it out even if you kill someone by accident. Yeah, exactly. You can't yeah. really break down in front of all of them. You'll lose respect. Yeah. you just got to kind of style it out and then maybe you went home and had a bit of a cry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, I quite liked how they did that with Shocker anyway. Yeah. You know, the whole, like, here's the weapon and now you're the Shocker. And that is genuinely the second Shocker yeah. in the comics I'm- who's in the film. <laughs> Kind of taking the mick out the name a bit as well. A bit like Taserface. I mean, I don't normally like it when comic book films do that. I, I kind of, so, uh, you know, my opinion really is don't be too cool for school. You are what you yeah. are. You are based on a comic and mm. it's about a man in tights who's running around calling himself Spider-Man. There's no need to be embarrassed about this. We're all in it. We're all in it with you. Shocker's not the worst name, but... No. um. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really set up too much. I mean, with, with Tombs at the end and him being asked by the the guy who's trying to sell arms with on the ferry who we think yes. could possibly be Scorpion, isn't he? He is, yeah, 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 he is. Because he then obviously sees him later in prison. And you yeah. know, you've already seen that he's got the, the, the... I think Matt Gargan is the character's name. Yeah, now, It's interesting, I think, because Scorpion becomes Venom at one point instead of Eddie Brock. And we already know Eddie Brock is going to be played by Tom Hardy in the Venom standalone movie. Right. And I I wonder how many of these films Tom Hardy is signed up to. Yeah. Because I, I think possibly Venom may be part of the Sinister Six, which yeah. will probably be led by Matt Gargan um, as right. the Scorpion. And I can see that film ending with him taking on the symbiote and just becoming a new venom. I mean, you wonder as well with um, Tombs Vulture from what he says. So at the end, he says, you know, um, Gargan comes up to him and says, "Rumor is you know who Spider-Man really is. Mm. Tell me, I've got some guys who wouldn't mind, you know, basically killing him." And he says, "I, you know, if I knew if I knew who he was, he'd be dead by now." Yeah. So you're kind of thinking because Spider-Man saved his life right at the end of the film. And kind of Tombs gave him a bit of a knowing look at the end, like, oh, he's saved my life, he's done this, maybe I am right, he's a good... So you're thinking, one, does he actually want revenge on Spider-Man himself? He's saving him for himself. He's hmm. going to get himself out of that prison, because he's a clever guy. Somehow he's going to get himself out of that prison, and then he's going to go and get spider Or is he thinking, do you know what, actually, what I was doing was wrong, he's reformed, and even if he goes back to being a bad guy he initially isn't going to go after spider-man or peter parker because he saved his life and he knows he's a good guy yeah you're kind of thinking the way tombs was and the way that he was quite a sympathetic bad guy or anti-hero you're kind of thinking maybe if we do see that character again maybe he's not going to go after spider-man maybe he's Mm -hmm. just sort of like no the guy saved my life 
or initially at least, I'm sure like he'll do if he did do that, he'd start doing bad guy stuff and then Spider-Man would come after him again. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I st- I think he'll probably still get revenge because, you know, at the end of the day, he's destroyed his business and, you know, forced his family apart and now he's yeah. in prison. But, <laughs> you know, I don't think he's just going to let him go just because he's stopped him from being killed by his own exploding weaponry. But I, I, I think he'll probably form part of the Sinister. Too good a character to waste and too good an actor to waste. Yeah. I mean, he, I, mean yeah. I, I, I think the same thing, but at the same time, he has completed his arc. You know, his story has gone from yeah. beginning to end. You know, you don't need him anymore. No. Uh, he had a very good story. Who, would, well. from the, who from the comics would make up the Sinister Sticks? Like the main... Well, we've had Shocker. You could possibly have Electro. Um, so let's see who that's, we've got at the minute. That's, that's, that's two electric-based bad guys, though. Well, sort of. <laughs> but Electro's a pretty big villain. And obviously Green Goblin. Yeah. So I think if you had Green Goblin... Who have we got? Let me just write these down. Green Goblin. Venom will be in it, I think. And then one more. Yeah, let's say Electro. Or you could even have another henchman. You could even have, like, Rhino or... You know, um, someone like that, someone a bit middling. What about, what about Dr. Ock? Dr. Octopus, yeah. Or the Lizard or whoever. Yeah. I just think um, it'll probably be Venom. Um, we, I mean, because we did have Electro already, didn't we? Yeah. With Jamie Foxx. Maybe it won't be then. But it's all speculation anyway. Uh, you know, the only one that's been cast is um, Tom Hardy as Venom. Yeah. Not really a great deal of plot spoilers, and you know you can you give the twist is the main one. Um, it doesn't tie in massively to the MCU, does it? I mean, obviously you've got Tony Stark in there, and some clips of the battle from Civil War, um, and but it's not like it, it's a plot really. You know, nothing that happens in this film is going to affect or tee up anything for future films. You know, like for Avengers. the Avengers, not. Um, sort of. I mean, we know, for, for instance, that the Avengers have now moved away. They've gone from their yeah. tower. They're in their place. We kind of them knew at the end that anyway, didn't we? Yeah, from, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but what we know is that Peter Parker hasn't gone with them. Yeah. So we kind of know, or I would say we shouldn't expect to see Peter Parker show up all that frequently. Yeah. I think it's probably probably done for his... Um, well, I, I like the um, with the suit, the intimidation voice. Yeah, yeah. Which seems to be taking the mick out of Batman a bit. It most definitely was. Taking but it was it Batman. was very funny. I mean, the whole thing with the suit, um, Karen as the AI was was funny, and it worked quite well. Yeah, I've written down a few little bits of trivia though that I think right. are quite interesting. So, did you know that Peter Parker? has been in the MCU since Iron Man 2. No. Mm, no there you go. It, so do you, do you remember? I remember Iron Man. I'm trying to think. Iron Man 2 was where uh, Mickey Rourke was the bad guy. He was, as Whiplash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In Iron Man 2, Iron Man sees a little kid who's wearing an Iron Man mask. Right. It's been revealed that actually that was Peter Parker. Right. It would be about the right age for him to have been in Iron Man 2 and now be 15. Mm. Mickey Rourke's gone quiet again, hasn't he? Mickey Rourke, yeah. yeah. Did, did the wrestler, did that, and then, yeah, where's he gone? Uh, it's a shame. Uh, he was really good in the wrestler. It was fantastic, actually. Yeah. Um, so there was that. So Betty Brandt 
is the girl who's doing all the reporting on the school journalism programme, who's played by the uh, girl from... Well, she's in these final hours. I can't remember her name. And also in The Nice Guys. Um, her, Peter Parker's classmate. She is uh, J. Jonah Jameson's secretary at the Daily right. Bugle. So there's okay. another little Easter egg they snuck in there. Yeah. Uh, in Peter Parker's school... There are paintings on the wall of John Slattery, who is Howard Stark, and Stanley Tucci, who's the um, scientist who helps create the super soldier serum. Right. That's quite interesting, I thought. Hmm. Another thing is this Gwyneth Paltrow's first appearance in the MCU since. Do you know when? Um... I'll tell you. Iron Man 3. That was the last time she was in this. Really? 2013, yeah. It, I, that took me by surprise as well. I completely... Then you think, where else was she? The only other film she really would have been in was maybe Age of Ultron. Exactly. Or Civil, Age of Ultron or Civil War. Anything that was quite Iron Man yeah. heavy. Um, hmm. But nope, she's not been in any of them because her contract... No, she was, she, was, she was mentioned in Civil War. Yeah. But that, so, yeah. there you go. Um, yeah, and the only other thing I had was then, then was that it was uh, Ultron's head that you saw. So, well, was it Ultron's head or was it a Ultron head? It was Ultron's head, apparently. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if it because because I didn't know if it is Ultron's head or one of the Ultron like minion robots' heads. Yeah. But yeah. Mm. Um. So yeah, I mean, Ultron's always quite easy to bring back because it's computer and AI. You could, but anyway, I don't think they will after how badly it kind of went down because it wasn't the best Age of Ultron, was it? Um, no. No, it but wasn't. Yeah. It was crap, um, actually. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it ties. Obviously, it ties in with the MCU. It will do, but not too heavily. Um, anything else spoilery you wanted to? No, I think I. I mean, I. I reckon we did quite a good job at talking around everything in the the yeah spoiler free review. Um, yeah, it was only really the, the reveal of the twist and then the kind of future the of Captain, the 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 Captain America end credit scene was funny though. I didn't stay for the stinger. I watched it. On I didn't. St- I didn't stay. I watched it from, but it was funny. You could imagine laughing if you didn't stay to the end to watch it. Because it's such a brilliant gag. <laughs> yeah. That you kind of expect something at the end of these, and then yeah, no. you just get this, and yeah, yeah, very funny. Yeah, because the end, right end of the film was Aunt May discovering that he was actually Spider Man, and that itself is quite a big deal, because yeah, you know. That's not been shown on film before either, is, has it? No. Twice no. he got caught out in his bedroom by yeah. people, you know, doing that things different to, to that happens, <laughs> Yeah, that happens to the best of us when we're 14. Yeah. Um, but yes, that is all for, for this week's Fail Critics podcast. Thank you all for listening. Um, and we'll be back next week with uh, War of the Planet of the Apes. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 